to be somewhat self-centered, thinking about what they're interested in and try and push the system as much as possible. Okay, bend it to, to what you want to do and what your needs are. I went to college, studied uh, radio and television for three years, started working uh, part-time at local radio stations, and uh, just, just kept moving. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking to some people in leadership positions at Humber College. I'm a student at Humber, and my experience has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, being one of the biggest colleges in Canada, Humber has so many vibrant communities contained within it. And because of that, I've been able to get involved not just in my program, but in other parts of the school, like athletics and other parts of the college. You know, I've gotten a chance to be involved with the Aboriginal Resource Center or the Peer Assisted Learning Support Service. And I think what sticks out to me overall is this winning culture that has kind of pervaded uh, Humber, an explicit focus on being number one. And with all that greatness comes opportunities for students to try different things, meet all kinds of people along the way. You know, it's one thing to come to college and identify what you love to do. And then it's another thing to get to do that on a daily basis alongside really cool people, constantly connecting with new people and just have a steady stream of new opportunities to explore and find out about yourself. Um, I think it's important to reflect on just how valuable it is to have access to everything Humber offers. I try to keep that in mind because it helps me stay focused and live in a headspace of seeing what I have in front of me and making the most out of it, trying to take as much away from these two years as possible. You know, I only have a limited time over the course of my radio diploma education. And, you know... I'm from a sports background and I've always been fascinated by coaching and people in leadership positions that create a system that puts players in a position to win and improve their skill set. And I think Humber is structured in a way where there's those key figures all over the place in leadership roles that shape different areas of the college and shape the college as a whole into what it is, a great platform for growth. Again, this great energy and, and winning culture that seems to be at Humber, I think you can trace back to the people in leadership posi positions that facilitate that situation. And I have two of them on the podcast today. Andrew Ainsworth, the Associate Dean of the School of Media Studies, and Paul Cross, who was a professor in the Radio Broadcasting Diploma Program. Now, one thing about Paul Cross, kind of what really sets him apart, is just the magnitude of his love for radio. And even before I was in the program, you know, we get the tour around the campus, you know, prospective students, and they brought us by, probably strategically, they brought us by to his class, and we kind of walked in and saw what they were doing. And, you know, right away, you could kind of get the sense like, okay, you know, you can feel that, that vibe of like, okay, I think there's something pretty cool going on in here. And... Being a student of his in the two-year radio program has been really, really cool. And he's actually the program coordinator of a one-year program, which has just been revamped. It's called the Radio and Media Production Program. And it actually puts podcasting front and center. And I think a lot of people might be like myself. They came to college to study radio more so because of an interest in podcasting and really being really having that desire to be in that podcasting community. And I think that, you know, oftentimes in my radio education, I think podcasting is kind of like a dirty word. And it's really cool to see Paul Cross has taken a year off of having 
his one-year program available to students, and he's kind of retooled it, and now he's reintroducing the one-year certificate program, the RAMP Radio and Media Production, to really put podcasting front and center. So that sounded interesting to me, and I really was excited to have a chat with him, talk about his new program, and here he is, Paul Cross, Professor and Program Coordinator at Humber College. I'm here with Paul Cross, who is a professor at Humber College and program coordinator of the postgrad radio program. Thank you for taking some time to have a chat. Much appreciated, Paul. My pleasure. As a student of yours over the past year, you know, your love of radio has really stood out. And without a doubt, that passion and wisdom and experience you have in the world of radio is infectious and has been a big contribution to my radio education here at Humber. And I'm wondering if you could give some context of how did radio, when and how did radio kind of take refuge in your soul? Oh, <laughs> thanks. Well, uh, radio is uh, part of my life and has been uh, since I remember being. Um, radio's just always been there. I listened to a lot of radio as a kid, and I knew as a very uh, young person, early teens probably, that uh, that's how I wanted to spend my time. And you wanted to make a career in it, and how did you kind of make that, bridge that gap into finding a place for yourself in the industry of radio? Well, I went to college uh, in my hometown and uh, studied uh, radio and television for three years. Uh, while I was uh, doing that, uh, started working uh, part-time at local radio stations and um, just uh, took off from there, started doing what I, I wanted to do. While I was still in school, I was on the air, uh, playing the tunes, spinning the records, uh, doing the pitter-patter between the platters, you know, kind of thing, and uh, then uh, moved into doing news instead and uh, just, just kept moving. And what was the dream job that you had in your mind? Was it doing the music radio hosting? And that's kind of what you were able to get into right away? Get your that's what I into? wanted to do. That's what I started out wanting to do, you know, to be a jock and play the tunes I liked and, and uh, have short hours, that kind of thing. Um, and I started out being what we called in those days a jock, a music host. And uh, that was cool. Um, but it got kind of uh, the same and boring after a while. And I found news uh, much more interesting because on any given day, you had no idea what was going to happen and what you were going to be involved with and who you were going to meet and where you were going to go. And I guess that's something that really interested you. And did you find that you had an aptitude or did you have to develop a certain skill set to be able to fit into that world? Well, certainly you, you have to develop a, a skill set. You have to, um, you have to uh, be able to write. You have to be able to think of things to ask people. You have to be able to listen. You have to be a good listener, able to listen to what you're hearing in a meeting or in a, an interview or a news conference or whatever. Uh, you have to have critical thinking to decide what's the important part of what I'm hearing here. Um, you have to have technical skills that you, you have to develop, and you get those basics uh, in uh, college, and then you um, learn to uh I'm not going to say perfect them, but to develop them more and more and more um, as you do them uh, day by day. You get great skills in college. They'll really come together when you're doing it hands-on at work every day, and it just becomes routine, and you constantly adapt to new technologies and new techniques along the way. And it sounds like you've had this career where you've done a little bit of everything, and that's now led to being a professor, at least part of your what you do now is being a professor at Humber College and program coordinator. Was that kind of always something that you had in your mind, maybe taking on that leadership role and facilitating the next generation's radio experience? Sure. I've been involved um, in um, 
broadcast in radio education for a long time. Uh, so for about 15 years before I got involved with Humber, I was uh, involved with the program advisory committee and as occasional guest speaker and such uh, at Conestoga College, which is where I studied broadcasting. So I've been involved for a long time. I never really had time um, to be involved in teaching uh, on a regular basis until the radio industry made me have time. <laughs> and then once I had time, uh, I was able to start doing that, I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to do so. And what do you enjoy about being in the college environment? Um, educational institutions are still places where ideas are valued. Uh, and so you have an opportunity in a place like Humber uh, to take an idea and to, and to run with it and develop it and turn it into something. And that's one of the things I think are great uh, values of um, educational institutions, colleges and universities. They're places to develop ideas and experiment with things and take risks in your field and try new stuff. And I guess there is different aspects. Maybe people approach radio with different philosophies and you maybe have your own specific vision of maybe what the best radio is. Would you agree with that? Um, probably. It's very subjective. Probably the best radio to you is the best radio for you, and maybe the best radio for me is the best radio for me. So we probably have different ideas because we're attracted to particular radio stations because that station works for me, uh, whereas a station that's not targeted at me does probably not work for me as well, although I can appreciate um, the skill and the technical skills and the performance because radio fundamentally is about performance in terms of what you hear people doing on the radio. Uh, so, yes, we probably have different ideas, but um, probably most listeners have the uh, an idea of what's great radio for them. Yeah, I guess you mentioned that. College is a place of ideas, and with every batch of students, there is a new set of ideas, and I think that you know, with my program, the two-year diploma, there is that. There's a quite an array. And then also, you are the program coordinator of the one-year certificate. Now, that has been on hiatus for a year, and I'm wondering kind of what the experience has been. Maybe I would imagine it's been a bit of a retooling phase and kind of just keeping everything up to date with how everything is shifting. What we're doing uh, in the postgraduate program is called radio and media production. So we're very specifically saying radio is very important. So is media production related to radio because it's the new world of audio and how people are listening. And people listen to all kinds of audio. There are corporations making millions of dollars uh, selling people audio products that a few years ago were considered more fringe or specialty types of, of products. So what the big thing in audio today, obviously, aside from radio, is podcasting. And we've always thought about podcasting uh, within the program since podcasting uh, started to become a thing, so to speak, uh, but we haven't put a focus on it. We've seen that as one other way of producing material. Well, now we've got a thriving podcast industry, uh, and in Canada, there's a good uh, base for it uh, in Toronto where we have uh, independent podcasters, sure, there are independent podcasters everywhere. There are people who do podcasts independently because it's a hobby, because of a personal interest. There are people who do podcasts in their work because the communications branch of the company they work in wants to put out a podcast about the company or a weekly product podcast for customers or a weekly in-house podcast for their employees across the country. Uh, independent podcasts such as Murder Was the Case. 
The person behind that is a grad of our program. And so we've been involved in that for some time. We're now making it a more formal part of our program and our curriculum to the extent that we have courses such as in first semester, a course called podcast and feature production. And we're thinking specifically about writing, producing, performing, and packaging material as podcasts. Yeah, it really does seem like that is something that's not only taking off from a business perspective, like there are actually podcast networks now, but I think a lot of students maybe come to Humber College and look at a radio broadcasting program like the best thing that's suited for them to get into a podcasting type of environment that they like to listen to, maybe they want to make. And it seems like now you've kind of retooled that your one-year program to really focus on those other media platforms of radio-style content, such as podcasting. Right. It's, it's absolutely front and center. It's not a sidebar. It's front and center with what we do. That's what it's called radio and media production, RAMP. Interesting. And, yeah, you know, as a second-year student, it's kind of – I feel it's a little unfortunate that I don't have your one-year program because it is a pretty cool peer group. You can have this other group of people that are working with you in the station, and they're typically a different age group, right? They're coming with some kind of diploma. So it is cool to have those two programs kind of in commingling. I think that uh, I'm looking forward to it coming back, although I will not be here to see it. But It is. Uh, it's a great experience. We've had some great cooperation between the two programs, particularly with students identifying one another and saying, hmm, I like the way you do that. Would you play the role of a character in this audio drama I'm producing, for example, because that's a that's something we've been doing for some time as well. Uh, radio drama, audio drama type thing, or would you do the voiceover in this piece I'm I'm working on? We have some good connections that way. And yes, you make the point about the kind of group it is. It tends to be extremely diverse. It's people who come typically with a degree, but also sometimes with a diploma in something or an advanced diploma. And they've decided now that I've uh, studied this other discipline and I've got my credential, now I want to take the knowledge I have in that area or maybe I'm turning the corner completely and I want to apply it uh, to podcasts, to a radio show. I want to become an interviewer. I want to become a host. I want to become a news reporter. I want to cover sports. I want to get on the radio. I want to produce in a creative studio content that's going out to, to radio and to other forms of media. And those people come together from those ideas. And it does tend to be uh, a group with um, great um, ranges in age, great ranges in, in uh, disciplines, great ranges in um, uh, in places they come from in terms of where they come from in Canada or where they come from in the world because we get a, get a good number of international students. It's a fascinating room to be in. It's a fascinating room to hear the conversations and people sharing their experiences and how that translates and how do they work together. Very tightly they tend to work together. And what comes out of the headphones, if it's a podcast type thing, or what comes out of the speakers on radio from those people, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and you mentioned that there is quite a substantial difference between the two-year program, not just in the entry-level requirement. Of course, for the one-year ramp, you need to have some kind of um, pre previous uh, education. It doesn't necessarily have to be radio or broadcasting, I understand. No, no it could be any, any discipline. As long as you've got a degree or a diploma, uh, you've completed uh, the requirements that would satisfy Ontario's rules for liberal studies. So because you've done that, essentially, you can get into a program where you're focusing strictly on core courses related to the actual discipline you want to study now. Uh, and because you've been through the experience of um, successfully being a post-secondary student and you've got a credential, you've learned how to learn, is what I'm going to say. You've learned how to learn and how to be a post-secondary post student, so now you can do a postgraduate 
um, Ontario uh, graduate certificate because you know all that and you can focus on this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm here to do this thing that I really want to do and create some some really cool stuff and have a lot of fun doing it too. And with the way that you've restructured the program for somebody coming out of a maybe a broadcasting diploma program, would yours be a continuation? Could they enroll enroll in your one year program as a continuation, or is that? Yeah, it How wouldn't be necessary. That? It wouldn't be necessary because what what really we're doing is we're still starting from the basics because most people are coming in without experience in media. We're starting from the basics. It's just that we tend to ramp it up very quickly. We really take off so that by six weeks in, you've got your your hands on on the board and you're doing stuff on air if that's your if that's your your choice. But you're you're. You're diving right in. We're we're pushing you in, and saying here's how here's how stuff works. Now go because I think that's how one of the great ways people learn is give them the opportunity to get their hands on and play with it, make some mistakes, and figure out how to go. And integrating these other platforms like podcasting, I think it gets a student ready for what's waiting for them outside of the college walls. When absolutely, absolutely, and lots of our grads, as you know, as I've as I've yep. said here today, lots of our grads are making their living uh, in podcasting as well as in radio. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, podcasting, I think, is sometimes overlooked as just a kind of a frivolous platform. I think maybe some people will tend to look at it, but it really is growing. And yeah, with the networks you're seeing, CBC just really been in the podcasting game for so long. It's developing and it's really cool to see. I think a lot of people enjoy their content in that format. And it's really cool that you can facilitate people building up the structure to actually make something of value. Because it's tough when you're just starting out trying to make some content, make it catch on. And yeah, to learn those kind of podcasting fundamentals or radio. I think there's a lot of crossover. Do you see a lot of crossover between radio fundamentals technique and what would be valid in podcasting? Absolutely. The production techniques are very similar. The, some of the writing is different. Some of the performance is different, and we need to think about some of those things. But um, it's you're, you're packaging a show for someone to hear when they hear it, whereas in radio, you're packaging a show to get on right now or you're performing live right now. Uh, but the skills are uh, interconnected, but it is time, somebody, and so we are, took a focus on saying we're talking about podcasting not as an adjunct, not as something else, but as central to what we do in the world of audio today. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, who can we contact or where can we find more information if this program is uh, sounding interesting? It's online uh, on the uh, Humber College website, humber.ca. Uh, if you search it there, it will come up under postgraduate uh, uh, certificate programs. It will come up all kinds of ways. If you search uh, Inside Humber, if you search RAMP, if you search Radio and Media Production, if you search online Radio and Media Production, Humber College, Postgrad Radio, Humber College, all of those things, those will all take you to the site for um, uh, RAMP, Radio and Media Production, uh, and uh, you'll find us on Twitter, you'll find us on Facebook on the Media Studies page, uh, you'll find us on Twitter at PG Radio underscore Humber, and uh, anywhere you search, we'll come up. RAMP, it's a very catchy name, I think that's half the battle, you know. And uh, when, is there any kind of open house or any time we can maybe get a closer look at the facilities? The next open house will be in April of uh, April 13th of uh, 2019. Uh, but uh, people can uh, contact me as the program coordinator anytime, and I'm happy to uh, have a conversation with them. 
Paul Cross, the program coordinator of the post-grad radio program, the RAMP program, retooled and coming out with a very interesting approach to all the new ways and the new platforms that people are accessing their content from. Thanks a lot, Paul. My pleasure. Radio and media production. Cool. Paul Cross, and a pretty interesting story, and I like that one thing he said where, yeah, I went to radio school, I was following what I love to do, and I just kept moving, you know, just keep doing things. You might have an idea of kind of what the dream job is, but let life kind of unfold, don't get too attached to any one outcome, and just see what happens, see where life takes you. And of course, he got involved in the radio education branch of things, and now he has the new program that's focusing on podcasting, which is cool because in my radio education, podcasting is almost kind of like a, a dirty word, you know? So for somebody to embrace a new platform that's so versatile, I think it's a step in the right direction and uh, no better guy to kind of quarterback that whole situation than Paul Cross. And that leads to the second guest on today's podcast, Andrew Ainsworth, the Associate Dean of the School of Media Studies, and a guy with some really good advice for students. And I think, you know, just by virtue of his own educational experience, going to film school in Texas, you know, being there at the same time as some really notable American directors that were getting their start. So I think just him having the peer group he had in that creative environment, I think, all made for a rich education experience. And I think those are all philosophies and things that maybe he's tried to bring to his leadership position at Humber College. I'm here with Andrew Ainsworth, the Associate Dean of the School of Media Studies at Humber College. Thank you for taking time to have a talk with us today. No problem. How would you describe your role with Humber College? I'm the Associate Dean, so I provide leadership and management for about 10 programs in the communication cluster, including all the film, television, journalism, radio, and digital communications. So I'm, I guess I'm the, our program coordinators provide the academic leadership in terms of curriculum um, and program, uh, how the program sort of sits in industry. Um, and they do a lot of, they sort of are, are tentacles out to the industry. Whereas I provide the management of uh, adjunct faculty in full time um, and also manage the programs in terms of what we have to do for the Ministry of uh, Higher Education and things like that. And how have you seen Humber College evolve since the time that you've been here? It's gotten bigger. <laughs> it's right. quite, it's a, it's a large organization. The uh, internal systems like the um, Enterprise system, Banner as you know it, um, has been implemented. So a lot of systems have been implemented which are normal for larger organizations, which we had we had before, but it was sort of done in an ad hoc way and built over years. So that's how it's changed. It's also changed in terms of expectations of employers, students, um, you know, and all the people that you guys do business with um, as graduates in terms of expectations of, you know, of what you learn and what you've come here for. Now, you have a pretty extensive educational background. And could you maybe tell me what was a highlight or maybe an important thing in the course of your education that was imparted on you? Um, I, went, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, and I went there... Um, when a number of American filmmakers who are now famous got their start. 
So I was in school when Robert Rodriguez did a film <clears throat> called El Mariachi, which is sort of famous in film lore. And I was also there when Richard Linklater, who's another famous filmmaker, uh, did a film called Slacker. And both of them were very entrepreneurial um, with respect to making films and independent and really took large risks and went out of their way to make stuff for themselves and for an audience which they found. So I think that was the big learning curve for me was just doing your own thing. Having peers that kind of led by that example yeah, exactly. you could pull that from. Yeah, so for example, for you guys in radio, you know, the podcasting world is huge. So, you know, there's nothing to stop you from starting podcast. There's nothing from stopping you to, to create your own thing and opening your own door, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can put that content right out there. You don't really have yeah. to have a gatekeeper in that sense. In the old days, it was much more difficult. If you wanted to make a feature film, it would cost you about $100,000 just to print it so it could be seen. These days, it costs nothing because you can put it on YouTube if you want. Um, or you can put it on Vimeo. Same thing with podcasting. So it's a totally different world where you guys can do anything. But at the same time, it makes it more difficult because you have more competition. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's across the world in terms of your maybe culture and English speaking mm-hmm. uh, audiences. Yeah, it's kind of you had these classmates who were kind of admirable in their entrepreneurial and upstart attitude, and now that's almost more enabled by the content platforms we have now. But yeah, like you said, there's more competition, but really it's a bit easier to kind of just get your stuff out there, right? Yeah, and even if you're doing, even if you're not doing it entirely to gain an audience, but you're just doing it to show potential employers what it's all about, it's really important to do something to show employers <coughs> or your peers that you're capable of doing original work and also doing all that's involved in producing and broadcasting original work. Could you narrow down for us maybe a certain attribute you had that enabled you to really get the most out of your education? I think that there's a couple of things. I think you have to be a critical thinker. I think I always questioned my professors, questioned the assignments. I also marched to my own tune in some respects, in so much as that I didn't value grades as much as I valued good work that came out of the assignment. Um, So I would be imaginative and creative when given an assignment and ask what the parameters and how far I could go or if I could adjust it or if I could do this so that it would suit my needs. I think that students have to be somewhat self-centered. Um, not to the point of irritation, but also thinking about what they're interested in and try and push the system as much as possible. Because, yeah, as I'm going back to school, I, you know, with the internship, I've been able to do a lot of stuff that I really want to do. And then with school comes a lot of cool projects, but it's also some stuff that is not necessarily in line with exactly what I want to do. So that's an interesting philosophy to so see you, how you can tailor it for your needs. Right? Yeah, you bend it to, to what you want to do and what your needs are. Now, some students who are younger don't know entirely what they want to do or what they're good at, but as you get older, you become pretty cognizant of what your, where your talents lie. And I think what you have to do is use the, use the program to your benefit. I often say to students, some who are struggling, I say, well, pick and choose your battles. Choose those courses where you want to, you know, do well, and you, if you can't handle the workload, 
and there's nothing that we can do about it, then you're just going to have to pay less attention to the other courses and, you know, let them lie, let them, let the grades uh, lay where they lie, so to speak. You've devoted a, a big part of your career to education. What compelled you to work in education and take on a leadership role in this context? Um, I was involved, I started teaching while being a filmmaker and I discovered that I enjoyed teaching just the pure energy and if we could call it entertainment of it uh, and as I went on in teaching I taught film and all subjects in film I I didn't become bored with it but I felt that I had nothing more to add to it and the problem with teaching is that sometimes if you're not in there giving a hundred percent you shouldn't really be in the classroom and so I've wanted to f um, try out new opportunities so I decided to do more of the management thing um, which is a change and which is quite enjoyable and so it's more of a leadership position I think I've always been a natural leader in my own mind. Others may dispute that. So I uh, have gravitated towards leading instructors and curriculum and uh, students in this journey called education. And you've kind of already given some good advice for students, some good maybe guiding principles. But for a student that's starting at Humber, their first semester coming up in September, what maybe would be your key to success, something they should try to implement? The key to success is to show up to class. Seems simple enough, but it's very important because it's not only for the work, but socially it's important to be part of the group. Education is not just about the schoolwork. Education is about being there. It's about your growth, your personal growth, your physical growth, and your intellectual growth amongst a group that have a common goal, which is to study this subject um, and create work, which is what we do in these creative fields. So you got to show up and be part of it. Um, and then secondly, I would suggest that if you have any difficulties, you speak to people before they become out of control. It's an important thing. Everybody loves communication. So just talk to somebody, your professor, your coordinator, or me, or whoever. Because, you know, did you have that when you were at school? Very interesting program, it sounds like you were doing, the film program in Texas. And did you kind of have a collaborative group atmosphere, or were there pockets of that? Oh, yeah, 100%. We had a, because we were all project-based, um, we quickly carved out who was the cinematographer, who were the writers, who were the... Um, electrics, um, who are the gaffers and grips, these are all positions in film. So we sort of moved as this unit doing each other's films over two years, so it was, yeah, totally social. Um, we hung out together, we worked together, we did everything together. Hmm. Yeah. How would you give me some advice to try and establish that, in, or any student to try and establish that in their program? I think just uh, find the person who's simpatico with your ideas, who likes the way you think, and who is uh, going to make you better and uh, make your projects shine and uh, you can learn from. 
And also, you know, I also in university, my first year of university, I met these guys. I went to uh, a school in Quebec, and I met these guys who were Quebecers, French-speaking, didn't speak English well, and they were enamored with the fact that I was English-speaking. They'd never hung out with an English guy before, and I was into hanging out with them because they were Quebecers, and I'd never hung out with Quebecers before. So we had this sort of uh, uh, interesting relationship where I learned lots about their culture, they learned lots about my culture, and we got along famously. So I'd say, you know, find people that you are unlike yourselves. It's a diverse school, and you will uh, discover all sorts of things. So for students who are maybe in their final year and are starting to do their co-ops and their internships, what advice would you have for them to make that gap, bridge that gap towards employment? Well, there's a bit of a paradox going on in so much as that people want new workers to be multidisciplinary, have skills which range across the spectrum. But at the same time, most jobs are laid out for specialists and experts. And I'm saying that, I'll qualify that by saying it's not true in all areas. But for me, when I'm hiring, um, I'm always looking for the expert, let's say the web designer, the podcaster. I'm looking for that person who can do this specific job. And then what comes with that expertise are all the other competencies and skills and attitudes which make them a whole worker and make them the person that you want to hire and keep with and also train in new areas. So I think your first strategy is to have an expertise, communicate that expertise, find the work in there. That's one way to go. Or if you're not that expert and you want to be that multidisciplinary person who has a number of skills, then you'll have to go after a more generalist job and maybe a job which at first reading might not be as exciting to you. For example, in the old days we had things like receptionists in ad agencies um, or in any other company or working in the mailroom, the old you know, film thing of you work in the mailroom and you work your way up. And that's still a possibility now, but I think because of social media and all the technologies that you young people harness, I think that there is more of a search for experts, um, and I'll call them niche experts in little areas, and I think that's what you are. Just by doing this interview and recording this with the Zoom microphone and then being able to edit it, you're an expert and you're hireable. And by practicing right now with me and doing this interview, which is semi-professional, I mean, we will pretend that it's professional, it's not a it's not pretend. Um, that in itself is expertise, which is hireable. And that's what you have to look for. Mm. Okay. And then one other thing. Be on time. Answer your emails. Answer your emails. I found that some, I don't know what it is, but maybe these are, these are the important things these days that tip you off to who you want to do business with are people that, are attentive to email, respond quickly, um, and keep things simple for you in terms of the digital communication that you're dealing with with them. You and I set this up pretty easily. Um, you responded after I responded, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. All those areas of professionalism. Yeah. 
but that's a bit of a learning curve, right? And I think sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Like I've realized, you know, if I get an email at 4 p.m., I can't wait till 9 a.m. the next morning because oftentimes it's been too late now. Yeah. So it's an interesting learning curve. And, uh, yeah, you can, you, you can respond right away. It's not, that's the thing is that I think that your generation, there, there's, a, there's kind of a bias towards stalling a response because if you respond too quickly, for example, with social media, it's uncool in a way. You almost want to let it, gest, you know, gestation period of 12 hours and then, oh, yeah, I'll like that um, or I'll comment on it. I don't know. I might be completely off. Um, I know a lot of people look at things and then go back and then like it in social media. So they don't like it right away, they go back to it. I do it myself, but there is nothing wrong with responding right away. Mm. Nothing at all. You know, because not responding is, is a form of procrastination. And what are you scared of? Don't be scared, just respond. Mm. If you see it, respond. It's all part of that focus, right? If you kind of really had that clear intention of this is what I'm trying to do, you wouldn't let opportunities kind of fall away. Um, you know, last question. Can you talk about any exciting developments we can expect in the School of Media Studies or just Humber in general? We're trying to develop um, a, what's called a data center. And it sounds pretty dry and unexciting, but it's not. What we're trying to do is develop a, a story laboratory, so to speak, where we take data as our foundation and this is data, publicly available data, data from companies, data from anywhere. And we use that to tell an organization's story. But the story becomes multi-platform in so much as that once the data tells us the direction of the story, we use podcast to further explain. We use graphics and uh, data visualization to further explain. We use film documentary to further explain. So the notion is, is that data becomes the catalyst for multi-platform storytelling. Um, and that's what we're kind of trying to figure out right now. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, it'd be good. I mean, what it does is it allows us to use radio as a, a stream or another tentacle of a story, whether it's for an advocacy group, company, or whatever. It's finding out which platform would be most appropriate to get out this particular message yeah. or story. Or you use uh, several platforms and let the client or the organization decide. All my life, the most positive and transformative experiences have all been from seeking out the right environment and embedding myself into that community. Doing something I love, connecting with people, working hard to get better, and just trying to reach an undeniable and impressive level of functioning. And I think Humber is just the latest example of the kind of platform I have found that facilitates that kind of growth opportunity. And uh, if Paul crosses ramp program, radio and media production, if that sounds interesting to you, you can check out the Humber website, find out more information, or there are so many programs in the School of Media Studies at Humber College, and they all seem like they have something really cool going on. I've gotten the chance to meet different students in those programs and work alongside them for different stuff, and it's really uh, quite a vibrant scene. So if that's interesting to you, check it out on the Humber College website. This is the Chip Marble Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. I see you don't have a visitor's badge. That's why I ask.